welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. This two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Thank you to the generous underwriters of Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information, and Luther Classical College, College for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Thursday, July 20th, we are studying Psalm 103. In today's text, David blesses the Lord for all of his gifts, both physical and spiritual, the gifts that God gives from his steadfast love. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Sean Linnell. Pastor Linnell serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blair, Nebraska. Pastor Linnell, welcome back to Sharp Ryan. It's always a pleasure and a privilege. Thank you for having me on. Pastor Linnell, talk to us in general about the Psalms. How do we need to approach the Psalms as Christians? You know, for a long time, I've always thought of the the Psalms as like a hymnal for the Bible, and I'm not entirely sure that's the right way, the right way to think about it. I think it's definitely a, I think it's definitely a prayer book. And the thing about God's people is that they have often sung their prayers. Certainly, these um, were. Some of them uh, songs that were sung or poems that were sung in the temple, and they have been sung. You know, we we sing them in church, but but they're at their heart, they're they're prayers. This is a prayer book, and and the wonderful thing about Psalms is that this isn't just a haphazard collection of these of these prayers of these Psalms. The Book of Psalms has an introduction, it has a conclusion, and if you were to read through from beginning to end, one of the things that you would notice is that the the translators, the compilers have put in here, you know, there's book one, two, three, four, and five. And so Psalms is actually broken down into these five books, these five sections. And the way that it begins, the way the book of Psalm begins is is actually with Psalm one and two as sort of an introduction. They tell you what they're going to be doing by putting these poems in the order that they are and in the structure that they are. Psalm one is blessed be the man who reflects on on the Torah. And the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. And so the Psalms are organized then into five books, and that's that's not a coincidence, right? It's because it's set up, again, not so much as a hymnal, but really as a prayer book that guides us in our relationship with God who reveals himself in Torah. And as we read through it, we read through and we pray these Psalms. Now, Psalm 2 is sort of a poetic reflection of God's promise, um, God's promise to King David in Samuel 2.7, and, and also that, that someday a, a messianic king will come, and that all who take refuge in this Messiah will be blessed. And so Psalm 1 begins with blessed, Psalm 2 sort of ends with blessed, and you have this wonderful kind of chiasm as an introduction. And all of this really tells us that the book of Psalms teaches us that, that Torah reveals God and it guards us until the Messiah comes to fulfill the promised kingdom. And, and again, the Psalms guide our hearts, they guide our minds, shaping our faith and our relationship with God in a particular way as we await the coming of Jesus, either as a, a, a faithful person in the Old Testament or, or the New Testament. 
Now, the order of those books or psalms and, and their themes are also kind of important for us if we're going to understand how that book intends to shape us through prayer. Book one is about this, this covenant faithfulness, right? The, the Torah and, and the covenant that God makes. Um, but that faithfulness in book one is really embodied by King David, who by the end of book one is an image of the king who is to come, the, the Messiah. Book two begins with the hope of, of the return of God's people to the temple in Zion. And book two ends with the image of the future reign of, of the messianic king really over all nations. And this kind of echoes Solomon's prayer that all nations, sojourners, might be able to come to Zion's temple and to find forgiveness from God. Book three concludes with a prayer asking God to never forget his promises, specifically regarding that messianic king, but this time, book three does all of this in light of the exile of God's people and in kind of what looks like an end to David's line, at least from their perspective. Book four then begins by going all the way back to Israel's roots. It's a prayer of Moses regarding that you know, golden calf incident, and it calls on God to have mercy now, just as he did to them back then. And the rest of then book four continues with all creation, praising God for the sure and certain hope that he will indeed keep that promise that we started off asking him to remember. Book five opens with sort of a series of poems that make it clear God will deliver his people who called out to him in book four, but it extends that promise and that deliverance to all nations and to all people in the Messianic King. And so then Psalm, the Psalms end with these five uh, these five psalms, and all of those five psalms end with the command of Alleluia, or praise the Lord, right? But Alleluia is this command, it's to praise Yah, as in Yahweh. And so what you see then is kind of a flow in psalms from remembering what God has given in his word, and specifically then the promises of how that word isn't just a spiritual thing, but has a physical reality, and then we walk through those psalms as we walk through the Torah, as we walk through the, the Old Testament, the story of God and his people and his faithfulness. And we're praying along with them because as we come to the end, we're, we're remembering that God does keep his promises. And so as we come around to where we are right now, we're in Psalm 103. Psalm 103 is in book four. And so since we're in book four, we're, we're really focusing on how God is going to keep his promises. We've asked him to remember the promises he's made, he's made of old, remember his faithfulness all the way from the beginning in spite of our unfaithfulness. And we are praising him for keeping that promise and for the sure and certain hope that he will continue to keep that promise with us, his people. That's a very helpful introduction to the whole Psalter and to the place we find ourselves in Psalm 103. Let's take a look at the text. Psalm 103 of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. 
He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That is our text for today. That is Psalm 103. Pastor Linnell, just give us a, a big picture view of this psalm. What's David praying and saying here? And, and is there any structure that we need to be aware of in terms of like stanzas or divisions within the psalm? I, th- I think that we can you do that. I mean, you you should be called to notice that that the structure has kind of a mirror to it. You know, it begins with um, "Bless the Lord, O my soul," and it it ends with "Bless the Lord, O my soul." And usually, when when it does that, it's going to build up to a climax somewhere in the middle, and then and then come back down and mirror itself in some way on the other side. Um, one of the things about this is that it is a it is a psalm of David, and when you hear that it's a psalm, it's not it's not just a song that he sings, right? This is also a prayer that he prays, and so this is this is really a prayer of David. And in this text, in Psalm one hundred three, it it doesn't reference any you know historical events or enemies other other than except you know the historical event of God giving the Torah to Moses. But remember, you know, Torah and Moses are, are the two things that the psalm are helping us to understand in our relationship with God, right? So anyway, all of that being said, a lot of David's words themselves bring up memories for those of us who know David's life, who know David's story really well. Um, it's one of the things that make it relatable, right? He's not just he's not just saying words. Those words apply to his life, to, to things that have happened. And as we walk through and we see some of that, and um, we'll see how the way that he's presented this really just remind us a tremendous amount of things that God have done has done in the Old Testament already and things that he's done in David's life. So as we as we start sort of this psalm, right? Uh, bless the Lord of my soul and always within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord of my soul and forget not all of his benefits. He forgives your iniquities, heals your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, satisfies you with good, and renews your youth. Taking that one by itself, God's holy name. So bless the Lord. When it says Lord here, that's not a title, right? That's that's God's name, like the name that he gave to Moses, right? It's, it's Yahweh here. And God's name is what we start with, but what comes from that name? If you remember in the beginning of the Torah, um, it was in, I think, I think Genesis, at the end of Genesis 4, beginning of Genesis 5, it says that people began to call on the name of the Lord. 
by the time you get around to the Tower of Babel, their big sin is really that they said, let us make a name for ourselves. And so the name of God carries with it really the essence and character of who he is. God's, all of these things we're going to talk about, they flow from his name because his name, his name isn't just a moniker. It's not just a device by which we, we might refer to him, but it, it really speaks to his nature, right? And all of these things then flow from who God is, as opposed to what we do or what God feels like or the circumstances of our life. What are these things that flow from God's name? Well, there in the psalm, forget not all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. That means he forgives all your sins. All your sins. Not some of your sins. Not most of your sins. Not the sins for which you do penance. But who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. These diseases, these physical things, right? This sin is not just this arbitrary thing where we've broken God's commands and he's mad at us and it's, a, it's an entirely spiritual concern. There's a physical result to sin. Now, anytime I say that, I have to be really careful because what I don't want people to think is, oh, I broke God's commandments, I made God angry, and so he, he gave me leprosy. Or perhaps in a more modern context, he gave me cancer. Or God forbid, gave my loved one cancer. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that all of these physical, terrible things that we deal with in this world are a result of the brokenness of sin in this world. When Adam and Eve, when they, they took from the fruit of the garden, when they decided that our relationship with God wasn't the thing that they wanted, it, it broke all the things. Because all of the things were set up to work together. God says that each one of them is good, but as he puts Adam and Eve in the garden and he's, he's got them and everything in this proper place and everything is done, then he says it's very good. Each individual piece is good, but the way they work together, their relationship is also important. And when the pinnacle of creation, the image and likeness of God in creation, reject him, well, everything else over which they were supposed to have dominion starts to have problems too. And this includes the very foundation of our being. And, and so all of the sufferings, all of the different things in this life, when Jesus goes around and he heals people's diseases, the very first thing he has to do is forgive their sins. Nowhere is this seen more clearly than in when he, uh, when he heals the, the man, the paralytic that was lowered from the roof. They lowered that guy in and they lowered him right before Jesus. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Hmm. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not why they lowered him through the roof. They wanted that boy to walk, and yet the man doesn't complain. And then when the, the Pharisees, when the scribes grumble, Jesus says, so that you may know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins, I say to you, take up your mat and walk. So the physical healings are proof that he can forgive sins. These things are tied together. He redeems my life from the pit because we don't just suffer, we also die. And so he redeems my life from the pit. He raises the dead. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Certainly he will raise all the dead. But that's going to be a very different experience for those who have faith and those who reject him. He crowns you with love and with mercy. So he doesn't just raise you from the dead, but he grants you, he grants you eternal life. 
And what does that look like? He satisfies you with good. He renews your youth, takes away the sin and the brokenness, frees us, fills us with his Holy Spirit so that we can do and love and enjoy the good things. And not so that we would just continue to get older, because while I respect very much the wisdom of my elders, sometimes the, the physical uh, result of getting older it doesn't look so terribly desirable, right? But he promises to make us young. Our bodies won't break down. They won't get old. They won't do those things. So from God's holy name, you see these things come. Forgiveness, healing, life, and not just life, but like actual eternal life, not just being in a state of undeath, and a life that is characterized by goodness and by youth. All of these things come from his holy name. Now, what does that sound like for us as Christians? Where, where is his name put upon us and we receive all of these benefits? That sounds a lot like baptism, doesn't it? Yeah. In baptism, the Lord puts his name on us, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not monikers by which we may try to understand sort of who he is, but things that reveal to us the very essence of who he is from eternity. He is Father from eternity, Son from eternity, Holy Spirit, the one proceeding from eternity. It's who he is. And from this name, from his very nature of who he is, he forgives sins and heals diseases and raises the dead, granting them eternal life, goodness, and youth. Right here as David begins, and he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Like, why? Why? Because, because the, everything that David is now, the way that he understands himself, every, everything that David ever hopes to be or will be is found in who God is. And who God is is revealed in his very name, Yahweh or Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I think the understanding of seeing how these things flow from God's holy name, again, for us as Christians, the connection to baptism is wonderful. And I think it, it also enlightens us as to why the first petition of the Lord's Prayer is, Hallowed be thy name. Of all the things that we could ask first from God, we ask for the holiness of his name because of all these good things that are found there in his holy name for our sake. I think it also enlightens us as to the when Jesus tells us to pray in his name. When, he, when we pray in his name, he grants us those things. Look at all of the good things that are there in his name. Of course he's going to give us these things. And the way that you've explained it, I think, really opens the, the reality up of those two prayers that we have in the scriptures. It's true. And, you know, and sometimes I think people get the wrong idea that when we're praying in his name, we're like, you know, invoking him or invoking his powers, if it's sort of like magic or, or something like that. And, it, and it's not. This is, this is relational. Um, and not to take anything away from sort of the academic understanding of the ontological trinity and how, you know, it works in substance and person and all that things. If your eyes glazed over listening at home, that's fine because we're getting to something else. It's that that really the, the trinity is, is or how it's taught to us, it's about relationships, right? Begotten is is not an event. Begotten is a relationship. The one who begets is father. That's what it means to beget. To be begotten means son. That's what it means to be begotten. It's a relationship issue, not an event issue. And so when we're talking about fathers and sons, our problem is 
is that we look at fathers and sons as if we are the, the beginning, the origin of those ideas, and we are not. And so we're like, well, fathers beget sons, and that means that they're they're born, but there was a time before that. And so when did that? No, 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 stop, stop. Father and son from eternity is the paradigm. That is where it begins. We are called father and son in so much as we resemble heavenly father and son, not the other way around. And then as such, when we pray, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? We're praying because father, like what does that mean that he is father? And what does that mean for us, that he's our father? We're invoking not just the power, sort of his name, like off on its own and his, you know, his his divine omnipotence and sovereignty is, a, is you know, our reformed brothers might. We're talking about a relationship that we have with him. And in the same way, when we pray in Jesus' name, we're invoking our relationship to the father as sons. And this is one of the things that sometimes I think you know, people maybe misunderstand a little bit. Like, we're all God's sons. I don't, if you want to say that we're all God's children, that's perfectly fine. But when we say that we're God's sons, we're, what we're doing is we're we're invoking not ancient culture of only sons inherit things. We're invoking the name, the relationship that exists from eternity into which we are brought. God looks down and sees us, loves us, hears us as Jesus, as his son. And we, being given God's image and likeness, aren't given free will or the ability to reason or any other sort of thing that we might own. We're brought into a relationship to be seen relationally as nothing else in all of creation was ever you know, made to be, including the angels, hence the devil's frustration, right? And so these are these are relational things. And since they're relational, that matters for us. And it's, you know, we all we we want these things to be relevant to us. And sometimes we might even say sort of emotional, but but yeah, I think I think you get that here, right? It's it is about relationships. These aren't just simply academic musings. Mm. As David continues then into verse six, he says, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Have that reference to the historical work in the time of Moses, as you mentioned before, Pastor Linnell. Got about four minutes here before the break. Keep keep going in this psalm. So the Lord is the one that works. The Lord is the one that creates. The Lord is the one that brings about the righteousness and justice. It's not that the Lord doesn't love those who desire and seek and perhaps do by the power of his spirit, righteousness and justice, but those things come from him. He is the source of those things. And who does he do them for? For all of those who are oppressed. And yes, I think that that does mean spiritually, and I don't think that it's wrong to include a, a worldly um, oppression either. I think in in perhaps today's um, political climate, there there are those who would feel a, a little uncomfortable by saying something like, well, this this does also mean worldly oppression. No, it does. It does. That That's not the only thing that it means. And if you focus on that as the primary sort of issue, then you, you end up having a problem because his deliverance is not for this world only. But but he he does feed the widow, Right. And the Israelites were not just spiritually oppressed in Egypt, they were actual slaves in Egypt. And so 
the, the Lord does care for those who are lowly, and he does exalt those of humble estate. And yes, that's spiritual, but it is also physical as well. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with having money. Goodness gracious, Joseph of Arimathea and a bunch of other the people that supported the missions of Jesus and the church early on, that's wonderful. But if you're struggling to find food, you can also pray to the Lord for food. Give us this day our daily bread, right? He cares about that. He made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the people of Israel. This harkens all the way back to the beginning, right? He's the same God from the beginning that he is now, and he reveals himself to us in his word. That's how he revealed himself and made his ways known to Moses. It wasn't just in signs and wonders, because that generation died in the desert. And the Lord did continue to show signs and wonders, but the thing that they kept coming back to was his word. They renewed his covenant. He read the words in the sight and the hearing of all the people. It's his word by which he makes himself known. And what does he make himself known to be? Gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. It's not that he won't punish. It's not that you can't make him mad, but that's not what he desires to be. He doesn't desire to be a God who who smites those, but to he desires not the death of a sinner, but that all might repent and live. And so in these things, he's reminding us that he's the same God that he was from the beginning. And more importantly, since we're the one praying this, we're reminding God of how he was from the beginning. God loves to be reminded. He doesn't, he doesn't need us to remind him, but like any, like any good father, he loves hearing his words come back to him from his children, right? We are listening. Mm. And so, you know, uh, perhaps after the break, we can take a look at that a little bit more. But in this section, we are reminded, and we are also praying and reminding God that his love and his promises are of old. He has always kept them. And for his great name's sake, we pray that he would keep them now. Yeah, we'll keep addressing those themes, keep digging into this psalm on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Sean Linnell this morning about Psalm 103. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that an investment with Lutheran Church Extension Fund exclusively supports LCMS ministries and church workers? That's right. LCEF ensures LCMS churches, schools, and organizations have access to the financial resources they need to sustain, strengthen, and start ministry work. In other words, you can feel good investing with LCEF because we share your Lutheran values and love for the church. Learn more at lcef.org. LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, July 20th. We are studying Psalm 103 with Pastor Sean Linnell. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blair, Nebraska. Pastor Linnell, prior to the break, we were talking about the Lord revealing His Word, His ways to Moses. We had a few more things to talk about there before we move on. Keep the conversation going. One of the things that we had started off 
talking about was our, our relationship to God in his name and as his sons. And as we move here to talk about Moses and we talk about Torah, that's, it's not a non sequitur away from relationship. Because when we're talking about Moses, when we're talking about being released from oppression, we're talking about really the Exodus right, story. This is also about fathers and sons, right? When, when God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh, the command that was given to Pharaoh, that Pharaoh didn't follow, was let my people go so that they may worship me. And so it was let my people go so that, that they might come out into the wilderness and, and, in, and have this this relationship, this this conversation, this this worship, receive these benefits, these gifts from me. And so when when we're talking about these things, there's a there's a purpose to that. And the other sort of thing, the threat that he says to Pharaoh, even before the plagues start, is he says, Israel is a son to me. Let my son go. And if you don't, I will kill yours. And we know how that turned out. The entirety of that Exodus story, right, is about God's mercy and deliverance and keeping his promises. But there's a relationship aspect to him as his people that he loves them as sons. And that's why that last plague is the one that it is. And that relationship continues to carry forward, like, for the rest of all the times. Because every Every son that came first from the womb needed to be redeemed. And so they, they kept this understanding and this relationship going at God's command. And so when David is bringing this up in this prayer, you're the one who works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made when known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Like that word Israel, that's, that means that you're God's son to be of Israel, Right? And this is important because when he says merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love towards Israel, towards his son. And you know this because that's what the next stanza, that's what the next paragraph is about. So, yeah. Could you help us out beginning at verse 9 through 14? Yep. Here we go. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our wow. transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. Yeah. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. Like that word chide, like who do you chide? Who do you chastise? If, if not a child, yeah. right? And so he begins with this. And then also it puts, it puts into context what it means when God calls us to repentance. He's not calling us to repentance because he's uniquely offended that you are not keeping in with his holiness because he's very sparkly and doesn't like the dirt of your sins. No, he's, he's leading you as a father does a, a son. Right? Why is it that with my children that I teach them good and right things. Is it so that they don't embarrass me when we got into public? I mean, there is a little bit of that, but, but really it's because I don't want them to run out into the street. I, I want them to, to know what is good and right and have 
good relationships and not get hurt. And, you know, there's, there's a responsibility there. And it, it, it's not because I love myself. It's because I love them. And so this is how the Lord is doing these things. He's calling us to repentance because he, he loves us. Right. And so when we say it's for his own great name's sake, yeah, but it's not because he's holy and apart and reverent, even though he is. It's because he's father. And that's what father means. That's what father does, right? Is he calls his children back to him. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities, right? Which one of you, even though you are evil, when your son asks for a an egg will give him a serpent or a scorpion, right? No. If even you who are evil know how to do that, then how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those whom he asks, or to those who ask? And so if he repays us in kind, he's not going to have any, any sons, right? This is one of the things as they were coming out into the wilderness. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, you know, be not angry with us, for if you, if you destroy us, if you leave us out here, if you don't help us, then who will praise you? Will the, will the dust rise up to praise you? Is that what's going to happen? All of the people and everywhere else are going to say, you let us out here to die. And again, it's not, it's not appealing to his vanity, right? It's appealing to his name, his nature as father. And so for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him, right? As high as the heavens are above the earth. How high were they trying to build that tower in Babel, right? Up into the heavens to make a name for themselves? No. No, the love of God is much higher than that tower. And in fact, there is no, there is no separation, right? There's no height that is too high, no distance that is too far for his love, for his love to transcend, right? And this is important. Like even all the way back, we talk about visions in like Revelation where it talks about, well, there was the that you know crystal sea or whatever and then in the in the new creation the sea is no more and and what you really have to understand is that the sea is sort of what separates us from from god even as the waters are separated from the waters right the heavens from the earth and so there's there's this this image that there is now no more separation there's there's no nothing that's that is intervening between us and receiving god's mercy and grace and and living with him as our father and, and god and so, right, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And sometimes we get this idea that, oh, well, with those who fear him, why not those who love him? Yeah, I get that, right? But if you're going to be talking about your relationship with your father, and, and they're, how, how can you not understand that word? Yeah, like that's right. my my children, my children love me, and I, and I love my children. But yeah, there absolutely is a little bit of fear there. My my daughter is afraid of the dark, and she's afraid of, of monsters and everything else. Last night, she didn't want to go and grab her clothes because they were they were in her room and all the lights went off and everything else. And um, I thought about just telling her to turn the light on. I probably should. But you know what? I got up and I said, I'm going to walk with you. And I, she says, I'm afraid. I said, what are you afraid of? You think there's monsters in the dark? I said, honey, I'm the scariest monster here, but I'm Let's go together. And so we did, right? And she was cool. I wasn't going to make her walk into the dark if she was freaking out, you know, cause trauma or something. But we did. We, we walked through together. And there's, there's, a, there's a reason behind that. You want your God to be scary. If not, 
then then who and how exactly is he going to defend you? Right? So that whole thing from how haven't we brought this up before? That whole thing about the lion from Father Zanati. Is he safe? Is the lion safe? And then they just sort of laugh and say, Of course he's not safe. He's a lion, but he is good. And so it is with the Lord, right? As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Cheesy reference when he spreads out his hands on the cross, right? And the east is to the west. And he comes right back to it as a father shows compassion to his children. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, right? And I love that they translated that compassion because when you come into the Greek, that word compassion, that's, that's a splaganiste, right? And so it's yeah. this inward moving, this you, you hurt for them, right? You, you are connected to them in a way that is almost compulsory. You know, you, you feel what they feel and you want what is, what is best for them. And you would do anything, tear heavens and earth apart and roll back the sky like a scroll, defy the laws of physics and even break death itself to save your children. And so the Lord does, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. This, right, going all the way back, all the way back to the beginning with Adam and Eve in the garden, is God forming him from the dust of the ground, breathing into him, giving him his image and likeness. And what does that mean to have the image and likeness, if not to be his son? And so he remembers all of this, and he remembers his promise, even back before David, even back before Moses, although Moses is the one that recorded it for us, his promise to send a Messiah, and to raise us from the dead. What marvelous good news from our Heavenly Father who shows this compassion, this steadfast love to us. How, how much farther would you like to go in the next section, Pastor Linnell? Let's do, let's do 15 through 19. Good. All right, so the psalm continues. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. I, I love this because in this paragraph, um, or in this stanza, I think we see uh, sort of the, the wonderful layers that Scripture gives to us. Um, because when he says, as for man, his days are like grass, right? When he, He's talking about us, but you know who else he's talking about? He, he's also talking about Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. And so, as for man, his days are like grass, and he flourishes like the flower of the field. The wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. And certainly this this applies to all of us. This is This is sort of our our, you know, mortal uh, nature, if you will, but it's also a broken mortal nature. Remember, this is not the way that it was meant to be in the beginning. In the beginning, you were not meant to die of old age. You, you weren't meant to be like that. You were meant to live forever. And then after the garden, this is, this is sort of where we are. And yet, even as the Lord comes down and takes upon himself our human estate, right, the Lord, like, he's not going to die from old age. He's got no sin. But he is indeed taken up and, and swept away. And you've got all of these references, right? But what happens? 
does he die and then he's gone and that's just sort of how that works? No, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting of those who fear it, right? And so the, the love of the Lord endures even when we don't. And for any, for any father that loves his children, if you, if you had the power, right, to do something about it, would you raise your children if they had died? I think, I think any loving father would say yes. And so in this relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father, we have to ask, why would, why would he do any less than an earthly father? Well, certainly we've seen that with his only begotten son, he's raised Christ from the dead. And so it is with the Lord who raises us from the dead. And not just raises us to, from the dead like he did Lazarus or from you know the dead like he did uh, Jairus' daughter or the son of the widow at Nain. You know, they had to die again. But he raises us so that we might never die again. His love is from everlasting to everlasting. Now, interestingly enough, here in verse 18, it says, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do all of his commandments. Um, just as you read the Bible, do pay attention to the difference between these things, right? There's a difference between keep and do. Does the Lord want us to do what he says? Of course. But don't misread keep for do. Keep means to store up in your heart, to love, to cherish, to seek, to desire, all of those things. But it doesn't mean you're always going to do the right thing. And the Bible very clearly makes a distinction between those two things. That's not an excuse not to follow God's commands. But just notice that there's a difference, especially when you're listening to Jesus talk in the book of John. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. And yeah, absolutely, right? Jesus ascends. He's established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom isn't just in the heavens, but he rules over all. And so, mm. right, this is a promise because it's not, it's not spoken of as things that he will do, right? But things that he has done, even though, even though perhaps they haven't happened yet from the perspective of David who's writing this. But when he promises this messianic king to come, of whom David is a type, Right? This is book four of the Psalms. These, these are not things that we hope he will do as if he might not, but it's a sure and certain hope that we know will happen. Things that we look forward to, you know, to, to actually being there. And so, uh, again, that really fits in with the entire theme of book four, where the Lord is restoring his people. And really, we're looking now to extend this, not just to the people of Israel, his sons, but that all people and all nations might be called to his temple, might be called his sons. This is important for us because most of us listening to this program aren't Jewish. And then so how does he how does he end? How does he bring this to a close? Right? Well, Bless before the, you. Well, go ahead. Yeah. Well, just before you get to the, to the end of the psalm, I, I would like to have you talk just a little bit more about what you said about making sure we pay attention to the difference between keep and do, which shows up in verse 18. And you mentioned the way Jesus speaks in John, which is, that's a very important there. How is it important here? Why do we need to, to make sure we understand that difference here in terms of verse 18, those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments? Why is that, why is that important? So everything in this psalm, and, and really most everything in this, in this book of psalms, is about what the Lord is doing. And we, as human beings, really have this tendency to try to grasp control of and make things about us. It is absolutely for you, but it's not about you. This is about what the Lord is doing. And so we'll—I've done this. So many people do this. We'll read through this whole 
this whole psalm. There's 22 verses in here, and we will focus on the one thing that says, yep, you got to do his commandments, and if you don't, then none of this applies. It's like you weren't listening to anything. So when we keep his commandments, right, the, the first thing that we want to understand is, is that this is about cherishing them in our hearts. Sin begins in our hearts, and so then also does, does faith and righteousness. But sin comes from ourselves, from a very broken nature. It's this inward rejection of loathing of, um, of God's commandments, the things that he wants, who God is, that very first commandment, you shall have no other gods. And then later it comes uh, outward in action. But you've already broken it in your heart. To keep his commandments in our hearts, to love and to cherish his word, creates this, this terrible tension within a, a human being because we love his commandments. This is what we want, but sometimes we're unable to do them. And so if, if this is the case, then by the way, our life and our very person resembles the tension in these Psalms between trusting in and hoping in his promises, but also not always seeing that in the world and in our lives. And, and the Psalm is hopeful in this regard because it reminds us that that that's been the history of God's people since forever, and he's always kept his promises. So cherishing his commands, right, who keep his covenant, this is his promises, remembering these things in, in, in our hearts, and then, yeah, remembering to do his commandments, right? And by the way, it says remembering to do them, not just doing them, which I also find to be interesting, because I can remember to do something and completely fail at it, right? Yeah. But... So there is this difference, and, and it often comes up. So Jesus is talking to the disciples in, in sort of his, his last big monologue before, um, before going to the cross, and he says, whoever loves me will keep my commandments. Okay, that's great. Whoever loves me will, will keep, will cherish up in, my, in their heart all the things that I've said. It's not necessarily, you know, whoever loves me will do my commandments. But he does command us to do those things, right? I, this is, right, do, do the thing. He'll say that later. And so, again, it's just important to remember those distinctions because if you don't, then you're going to make it all about you. You're not going to do them, and then you're going to think that the promise doesn't apply. But it does. It does. Those are distinct things, right? The, 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 the promise that he makes, cherishing those things, faith in your heart, and the outcome are not necessarily the same thing. Again, not an excuse to blow off his commandments, but it, it really is sort of a, a parallel dissertation to what Paul is talking about in Romans, right? Where he's talking about the person inside loving the law, but not being able to accomplish the law. So if you have that struggle within you, then um, praise be to God, because that means the Holy Spirit is at work. If you don't have that struggle within you, you probably don't care, but you're, you're in trouble. That's right. Yeah, that's very helpful, Pastor Lynn. I'll now take us into the, the end of the psalm, which says, as, a, as you pointed out, a mirror to the beginning. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. I think that this is just a, an incredibly uh, humble and um, really sort of personal way. And I'm, I'm kind of a dramatic guy anyway, you know, but as I, as I read through this, 
you have this, bless the Lord, all you angels, you mighty ones who actually do his word, who actually obey the voice of his word, right? right? Subtext is that I don't. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers, those who do his will, right? The implication is perhaps that I don't. Bless the Lord, all of his works in all the places of his dominion, because sometimes I think I find myself outside of it. And then in a very, in a very humble, in a very quiet voice, almost as a prayer that the Lord might, might help him with this, as a plea to his own being. Bless the Lord, all my soul. And it's, it's just this wonderful, it, it certainly um, puts a mirror to the beginning of it, but it, it makes you feel a little bit small. Because, you, you know, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven and all of these big things, you look at the sky and the stars, the Lord, he creates, right, the, the sun and the moon and then, and then the stars also, almost as, a, as an afterthought, right? It's just the, the grandeur of everything that he is and, and all of his saints of old who actually, you know, have, have um, seemingly done his well and been made holy and are robed in the... The, the robes of Christ's righteousness and sit around the throne of God. And then there's just lowly me and my soul. Oh Lord, oh Lord, help me to praise you also. Not because he needs it, not because I earn anything by it, but because it's what I desire most of all. That my, my small and humble voice might give proper thanks and praise for all of his benefits to me. And you can almost pray that on repeat, you know? And I think if you read it through a second time and you lower the energy right there at the end and you read it through again, that's what that prayer is meant to be. It's almost a Jewish rosary, my goodness. I'm kidding. But, you know, but no, I think, I think that that's what it's meant to be, right? It's, it's meant to be a prayer that you carry with you all day, right? Pray without ceasing. And I, I think that's I think that's what it's meant to be. Pastor Linnell, we have about four minutes left on the morning. As you reflect on the totality of this psalm, thinking through it from beginning to end, help us to to wrap things up. Give us the the good news, the hope that's ours as we see Christ and all that God has for us in this psalm. You know, as you read through the psalms, as you read through the psalter, you'll notice that not all the psalms have the same character. Not all of them have the same tone. Some of them are psalms of lament, and some of them are psalms of praise, and we could break them down into more categories, but not all of them are happy, right? Um, and, and the thing is, is I, I think as you read through the, the Psalter and you see how they're organized and how they're structured, this, this gives us a tremendous amount of hope, and it gives us a direction for our relationship with God as we live our lives. Not everything is always going to be good, and you're allowed to lament. You are allowed to pray and lament. This is a proper response to tragedy and suffering, to call out to God and lament. You don't have to be happy all the time. But as you read through the Psalms, you'll find that in books one through three, the number of Psalms of lament outnumber the Psalms of praise, even though there are Psalms of praise in the midst of that suffering. And in books four and five, there are more Psalms of praise than there are lament. And what this does for us is it helps us so that as we're walking through our lives, as we're walking through God, uh, uh, God's relationship with us, His relationship with His people in the in the Bible, we we see that we are being brought to something better. That there is hope, and not just a, a a faint hope of things that might be, but a sure and certain hope. 
that does bring us up out of the pit of despair, that brings us through these hard times, and that reminds us that the Lord has indeed a plan, even in the midst of our suffering, a plan for our good, a plan for deliverance, and not just a plan for us, but a plan to bring about the promises that he's made from the beginning. He is indeed our Father, and we are indeed his sons through Jesus Christ. And as you read through the Psalter and you see the, the themes of the Messianic King and the house of David and the temple being raised up, like these things are all pointing to Jesus. And the Psalms find their fulfillment in Christ and in his return. And this is why when Jesus teaches about himself, it's in all of the law and all of the prophets and, and the Psalms, because all of these things point us to him. He is with us even now, whether we are in lament or whether we are in praise, because it is through Jesus Christ that we call God Father. It is through Jesus Christ that we know his love and his mercy. It is through Jesus Christ that we have the forgiveness of our sins and the hope of a life that endures from everlasting to everlasting. And as you come to the end of each book, you'll notice that it says, Amen and Amen. And so as we end our prayer in our time today, then let us bless the Lord, the God of Israel, who endures forever. Amen and amen. Pastor Sean Linnell is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Blair, Nebraska. He has been helping us today to study Psalm 103. Pastor Linnell, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. The hymn writer meditates on Psalm 103. In the hymn, Praise to the Lord the Almighty, it's number 790 in Lutheran Service Book. This is stanza four. Praise to the Lord, who will prosper your work and defend you. Surely his goodness and mercy shall daily attend you. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do, as with his love he befriends you. And then into stanza five, Praise to the Lord. Oh, let all that is in me adore him. All that has life and breath, come now with praises before him. Let the amen sound from his people again. Gladly forever adore him. That is our prayer and praise to the Lord still, the one who in his holy name has given us all good things in Christ. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about Psalm 103, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.